Welcome to the Lifestyle PT Wellness Spotlight. Our goal is to connect you with local businesses and to assist you in living your best life. Now introducing your host, Dr. Karen Schuler. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. I am speaking today with Mary Honchok and we are talking about balancing your health in 2021 to find stability in 2022. I know many people tend to focus on their health January 1, but we thought it would be good to go ahead and start discussing this uh, to kind of find that balance, you know, at the end of 2021. But before we go any further, Mary, I want to welcome you to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Um, well, I was uh, military. I'm, I was a military aviator, went through uh, military, um, the Air Force Academy. Um, and there they, they talked about the bond between mind and body and spirit um, in a different way, right? But they still did. It was all the sort of the, uh, the triangle of balance between the three. Um, well, as time went on, you know, children, military service, working, um, things kind of got out of balance. And accidentally, I sort of got into the more Eastern modalities, yoga to start with. But uh, my true love came is in Ayurveda, which is not as familiar of a term. It came after yoga in a way. And it is sort of the medicinal arm of yoga, and it means the knowledge of life. So I got a little carried away. So I got tons of certificates. Um, I'm an Ayurvedic health counselor and a three wisdom tradition wellness coach. And the three wisdom, kind of let's unpack that, is the three wisdom traditions combine yoga, Ayurveda, and Western psychology into trying to find um, sort of a plan to uh, move you towards a more balanced state, to move you into health and wellness. And the definition of health in Ayurveda is a much larger thing than just to be free of disease. It is essentially to be situated in oneself, to feel balanced, to eliminate what you need to eliminate and to be free and open to accept what you need to accept. So again, a much larger thing than just free of an ache and pain. Now, are these three separate things that you have combined or is this the program you were in did a combination of yoga, Ayurveda and Western psychology? Right. My, I, I'm well-trained. I'm a 500 experienced yoga teacher. I mean, I have a lot of stuff in different forms of yoga. And when I started taking Ayurveda, um, my teacher who was a Western trauma psychologist derived this three traditions wellness coach. And it was really nice. I, like I said, I'm highly trained in Ayurveda. I'm highly trained in yoga, but I am not a psychologist. But what this, this does is it allows me to use ancient science, but have the vernacular, have the vocabulary, be more familiar. Like for instance, we use habit patterns to change and direct your course of wellness. Um, in Western science, a cognitive behavioral therapy might be used to um, adjust reactive behavior. 
Uh, people often uh, associate that with like PTSD. You hear a sound, you drop to the ground because you think it's a bullet versus just a tire blowing. But it can also be used for much more milder things. Um, you know, going to an evening's glass of wine to calm down versus a guided meditation. You know, there you can use the tool in the same way. Well, in yoga and Ayurveda, it's they've been using those tools for thousands of years, but they do it in a very metaphorical kind of poetic way. For instance, my favorite uh, is one of the uh, Upanishads, meaning as your desire is, so is your will. As your will is, so is your deed. As your deed is, so is your destiny. That is a statement about using cognitive behavioral therapy tools. It is so much easier just to prevent uh, present them more in the Western psychology model. You know, people get it easier than a poem. So that's how I found that I really enjoy using this three uh, three traditions wellness versus just a straight Ayurvedic model um, because I can. I use things like anchors. I call it, we're going to anchor this to your morning routine. We're going to anchor this to your evening routine. I use triggers uh, again. The, so the vocabulary is more Western psychology. The things I suggest are from the Eastern modalities though. So you're basically saying, you know, if we're going to find balance, we've got to retrain our habits. And in order to do that, um, th this cognitive behavior retraining really is a must. Like yes. you're not going to change those habits without it. Right. And there's these reactions. So the cognitive behavioral is, is there's a, there's a sort of a thought, a reaction or a constant, a conscious action. We're trying to move away from reaction and into conscious action. And whenever you're trying to retrain a habit, so we think about habit patterns as like grooves on old fashioned record albums, right? And we've created this groove because this needle has gone over and over and over again. Well, to pick up the needle and to move it into a smooth area of the album, what happens to the needle? It wants to go back to the groove. It wants to go, the, the reaction mm -hmm. is to go back to the groove go back to the habit pattern, whether that habit pattern is effective and productive, it doesn't matter. The needle wants to go back to that groove. So it takes this conscious action to hold the needle in the flat plane in order to create a new groove. So that's why we always say it takes 40 days to insert a habit. It takes a hundred days to let that habit get momentum. And, and if you just think about that needle just requires time going around and around your day in order to make its own new groove. The old groove's always there, but with time, the old groove fills with dust and disuse. And so it becomes the more shallow of the grooves. So really, as we're looking at the first of the year, you know, everybody has their um, New Year's resolution and they're usually right. health focused. Right. But by about March, <laughs> right, you've either changed that habit or you've abandoned it and gone back right. to your old ways. <laughs> and, and then you feel worse about yourself. And then, you know, yeah, yeah it, it, that's the cycle that goes about. But it's this idea that... Um, you know, any new habit, you have to be very delicate with it. You know, you have to be conscious and it's hard to be conscious all of the time. I mean, I don't think anybody can be conscious all of the time, but it's with these tools that I have in my purse that I give these people and um, to 
bring them back into conscious awareness to, to add some momentum. Usually it's, I see what they're doing. And then I try to anchor new habits onto the stuff that they're already doing, you know, so it's not crazy. It's not crazy out of whack. You know, um, it's really hard to replace that glass of wine with 15 minutes of full meditation. You're just not going to, you're not going to take that step most likely unless you used to meditate and then the glass of wine is the new habit, (laughs) then I can get you back to meditation. But if meditation is the new habit pattern, um, it will be, you won't even make March by the time the glass of wine is there. And the meditation is, I I just don't get that. So I try to find baby steps in between so that it's not such a crazy, um, it's not just a crazy step. You can't go from not exercising at all to expecting you're going to be doing an hour, five days a week routinely, you know, you might get one or two weeks out before something happens, you know, inevitably. So really through health coaching and, you know, someone guiding you, you, you're setting it up so they can be a little bit more successful with, um, you know, achieving those goals, but also I like the way you're talking. I mean, it really is habit changing, you know, it's all all habit changing. And if you look at any of the Western models of habit changing, um, again, it's this record groove. It's, we have created, we have created momentum in places that we never even tried to create momentum, but just because for what we do every day, that is what creates us. What we eat every day, that is what creates us. That's what creates our new tissues, you know? So if you're not consciously focused of what are you doing every day, you create a destiny that you are unaware you were creating. So when we wake up and our body's out of balance and we're hurting or we have inflammation or we have gut issues, that didn't just happen yesterday. Correct. Correct. And a lot of times, by the time somebody comes to see uh, me, they are deep in, they are deep in this other pattern and they immediately want out. And usually we say how long it took you to wind in is how long it's going to take you to unwind it. You know, it doesn't mean that it's, um, you can't get better, but it's a very incremental stage, you know, because again, if something happens where you get stressed out, you're going to sling back into the old habits. It's just natural, you know, and then you pick yourself up, dust yourself off and put the record needle back into the smooth or the lighter groove and you begin again. And so it's this idea of um, um, sort of herding your momentum in better, in better directions. So don't defeat yourself, you know, when you, when you don't necessarily achieve that goal right off the bat, but just keep at it. And eventually at that, it. that groove will be your new habit and Correct. your new default. So yes. when you get stressed that that's what you default to, not to your old, um, probably not as good patterns or habits that you developed Correct. prior. Correct. Correct. Um, a lot of times, and I thought maybe I could briefly uh, do a short case study because um, a lot of this, the stuff I talk about, um, I was, in fact, I was just working with my sister, my sister's 10 years older. I was just working with my sister, my, our mother passed. And I was um, working with her on some different things because we were just together. And she's looking at me strangely, like, I've just never heard somebody talk the way you do about thoughts and patterns. So the language is 
different than what most people are accustomed to, but the process in order to give you a wellness plan is actually quite pragmatic. It's just sometimes the words I use, like I have people rate their satisfaction at each meal, and that is how it digests, how it tastes, how it makes you feel and what energy it gives you after the food rate it one to 10. And that's kind of an odd thing. People want to be healthy. So either they rate it high on the healthy standard, but yet it gives them gas. And, you know, it's, so it's this, um, it's a different pattern in which we go in and look for things. And it's often not what Western we're, we talk a lot about feeling satisfied. And so you have to define what that is really. So I thought maybe going through a quick case study, um, wouldn't seem so strange to people. <laughs> I think that, I think that's a great idea. I mean, I'm hearing you say we got to be more present. We got to, you know, because even when you were talking about the meal, it's like, do you even remember what you just ate? <laughs> you know, sometimes well, we're, we're yep. you know, so on the merry-go-round or really roller coaster more than merry-go-round that we just don't even sometimes know what we're doing. We're not fully present um, in, in okay. our actions. So I think a case study would be a great way for us to learn and to, you know, see how someone, if they wanted to come to you, you would take them through a, a wellness coaching, you know, session. Okay. All right. So um, the woman I use in this example, she's in her early fifties. She has a uh, psoriasis on her hand and she's it ups, upper arm too, but she's most embarrassed by the hand, um, like hand shaking because it's there and you can see it. Um, and has not been losing, having the ability to lose weight anymore. Now this woman really, by looking at her really doesn't need to lose weight, but I'm sure she's maybe a little bit heavier than she was in her twenties. Um, so, uh, at first I give a questionnaire and usually I do this before we even meet because I'm asking a lot of details that, as you said, most people don't, aren't aware of. I ask what time you wake up. I ask what time you go to bed. I ask what you eat, how you eat it. Just as you said, are you doing it on the run? Do you remember what you eat? Do you chew? I mean, so I have a lot of different, um, more finer point questions about your day. And if I found early on that if I just asked those questions, people told me about the day they were in at best and two days ago, they're not going to remember. So I try to get a questionnaire out and give them several days to kind of think about what their normal day is like, you know, from start to finish. Um, and then let's see, we meet after that, usually for the first time. And we go over, I've read their questionnaire and we go over, you know, some of the things that they, you know, have talked about. And it's often I find I find things that they do, don't think is a big deal that I think is a big deal. Um, for instance, with this woman, her biggest deal to me was that um, she never took a break from work. She worked from home. She had uh, older children and uh, her husband worked away from home. She had just recently started working from home. And so she never felt satisfied with work. She was always working, always, always, always working. But the one thing that she would do is she'd cook dinner for her family. So she would take time for that, but she would do it after the work hour. So dinner was kind of later. Um, 
to me, that's what's very notable in her, which she didn't find notable because she never felt um, that what she was doing was enough at her workplace. She never felt what she was doing was enough. So she always did more. She did quite a bit more working from home than she ever did while she went to the office. So to me, that was my big thing that she hadn't even noticed. Um, Because in in Ayurveda, we have certain times of the day that are best for certain activities. Uh, In the early morning and in the evening time, it's great to exercise. Midday, 10 a.m., 2 p.m., is the best time for you to eat. Your digestion is at its best between those hours. So it's best to get a lot of your calories in between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And then between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., your body digests as well, but it digests your day. It digests emotions. It digests thoughts. It digests actions of the day. So if you're not asleep in that 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. time, you often wake back up again. And so then, like I know if I come home from a trip and it's at past midnight, I'm not going to go to bed until probably 4 or 5 a.m. because I've hit that second awake time. So those were the big points when she filled out her questionnaire that I saw. Um, And um, let's talk about certain things that I suggested uh, to her. We use the term anchor point, which we try to anchor new habits onto stuff you're already doing. But I realized that during her day, she did nothing for herself except work. So what I wanted to do was take that gift she was giving her family by a home-cooked meal. It was a very healthy meal by Western standards, salads, lean meats, but I wanted to... um, give her the opportunity to have a break midday. So what I did was I drew forward. I said, prep for your mid meal or prep for your dinner meal at mid meal. Then you can have lunch and your dinner can be earlier. Um, and that went okay with her, but here's the part that I wanted her really to do. Um, that didn't quite go so well is I wanted her at 10 AM to do a guided meditation, 25 minutes. It's called yoga nidra. You lay down, you put a cover on and you listen to this very specific guided relaxation. Um, So that was my big want for her to do. And then she picked two more things. I usually give like four or five suggestions. And then I suggest one that I'm pretty firm on and then let them choose a couple more. And she chose the uh, walking after dinner and um, trying more soups and integrating six tastes in a meal. So you have six tastes in your tongue. If each meal has the accumulation of all six tastes and have to be in each dish, like almost a Chinese methodology is the combined dishes at your dinner should have all six of the tastes. And they're sweet, sour, salty, astringent, bitter, and pungent. So she liked that idea. So we worked on that. Let me Um, ask a question about that. So at 10 a.m., 
That's yeah. when you were saying that you wanted her to do the guided meditation. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Isn't it weird? What a weird that's, Yeah, I was going right? to say that's surprising to me because I would think you would want to be stimulating and getting ready for your day. So why why guided meditation at 10 a.m.? The, the 10 a.m. is a transitionary between um, a, a more uh, solid time of the day, which is a good time to work out, to the digesting part of your day. But what the yoga nidra does is this woman, because of this lack of satisfaction throughout her whole day, based upon her work and her sense of confidence and whatever thing, she was driving herself into her sympathetic nervous region all day long. And when you're in your sympathetic nervous response, you don't, you don't digest well, you can digest, you just don't digest well. The job of the sympathetic nervous system is to send blood out to your limbs to make you fast, make you strong because you're running from the tiger. Now, the problem is, is that her tiger was mythical. So she could never conquer this tiger, but she was pulling herself away from the parasympathetic nervous system, which that's the one that says rest, digest all is well. So this yoga nidra, this 25 minute guided relaxation is designed to drive you into your parasympathetic region. So at first, when people first begin doing yoga nidra, they fall dead asleep and that's okay. It counts <laughs> because the words kind of go through your head and you're calming down. And then when you're in your parasympathetic region, she'll be able to eat calmly and nicely and maybe rate her lunchtime meal with a much higher satisfaction rate. This woman never rated one meal above a six ever. So at best, she was rating her satisfaction every time she ate as a six. And your meals should be this sort of sacred nourishing, even if it's five minutes. And she, she was giving herself none of those. So I wanted to give her a calm place in which to nourish herself midday. Okay. That makes sense. That's so opposite of the way most of us operate and, and most of us think. <laughs> Correct. And it doesn't have to be that long, but the problem was is she had gotten herself so wrapped tight around and she wasn't conceptualizing that she was in her sympathetic nervous response to her. That was her personality. Right. And this, right. Yeah. You just and, say, I, I, I'm well and tight. I'm type A. You know. Correct. I'm type A. Everybody loves to say that as some sort of compliment when they realize they probably haven't digested a meal in 40 years. So we try to go calm, a little bit lighter. So that was why I was driving that 10 a.m. relaxation and a midday break. So, um, and again, that's why I thought it would have an effect on the psoriasis on her anxiety, um, which were examples of inflammation, right? It just examples of everything being out of balance. Correct. And then, she was and, just, yeah, she was just pushing herself all of the time. And you were talking about the sixth taste. Um, you know, is that for digestion? Is that the reason that you want to get the the different? Yes. Yes. And there? yes. And no. It also has to do with satisfaction. Um, we all have foods that provide us no satisfaction. Like I could probably eat like three whole pizzas and never feel satisfied. I just go straight to bloated, you know, uh, 
cookies on my husband and cookies. He could eat dozens of cookies. He would never feel satisfied. He only just feels uh, the regret associated with all of those cookies. So what I was trying to find is the six tastes also gives you that sense of satisfaction. So, um, and also I was trying to pull her away from salads and going to soups because, um, it's not that salads are bad in certain seasons. They're quite appropriate, but they're harder to digest than a soup. A soup is already warmed to your body temperature. A soup is already chopped. A soup already has a lot of nutrients in the broth, which has already sort of been transformed, not digested, but transformed into something that is much more digestible for us. I mean, man has been cooking with fire for thousands and thousands of years. And consequently, it's easier for us to digest foods that have been transformed by fire than foods that have not, you know, like anything raw is harder to eat than anything cooked. And so that's why I was going into the six tastes, soups, um, to allow and also the evening meal the midday meal should be your largest meal the evening meal should be a smaller meal and so i was trying to drive the calories to the midday meal and shrink the calories of the evening meal and soup is a great way to do that before we go deeper into this let's let's take a break but when we come back let's talk about how many sessions an individual may need in order to create this balance 